only taken you 117 episodes to put the scripts in the script folder. Can I just say, <laughs> why, why do you bury the scripts in a whole separate place? I'm going to take that script folder out of that hidden place. And I'm going to put it somewhere obvious. Yeah, we could. We could put scripts at the top of the folder. Do you know, that would be like a revolutionary thing to do. Right then. <laughs> I'm going. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And before we begin, we wanted to introduce you to our lovely new sponsors, Natural Mat, who make beds and mattresses by hand in Devon, using natural, organic and renewable materials with absolutely zero chemicals, synthetics or glues. Did you know their mattresses can be found in some of the top hotels around the world, including the fabulous Hoxton, as well as boutique getaways such as the Bull Inn in Top and the rose in deal. Oh, I've stayed in a couple of those. I'll admit I had a very good night's sleep. Natural Mat also work with interior designers as they can make everything themselves so they can accommodate pretty much any bespoke request from custom-shaped headboards to pattern matching the most intricate fabrics. Customers can choose from Natural Mat's selection of in-house organic fabrics or supply their very own. Yes, I used Natural Mat for a big project I did in central London last year. I was consulting on five apartments in a listed building and we wanted to make everything as sustainable as we could. So in addition to using vintage furniture and eco paint, we also specified Natural Mat for all the beds. So to learn more about Natural Mat's organic beds and mattresses, head to their website, naturalmat.co.uk, or visit one of their showrooms in either London, Devon or the Cotswolds. And listeners can receive 10% off their first order with Natural Mat, either online, in-store or over the phone by using the code GREATINDOORS10, valid until the 31st of August 2023. Ah, oh, thank you, Natural Matt. So today's show is going to be dedicated to our monthly star surgery, where we get to grips with all your style dilemmas. But before we get into that, can I just circle back to last week's episode, and anyone who hasn't caught up with it yet, wasn't Michaela Sharp just a joy of an interview? And we've had actually so many lovely messages from listeners saying how much they enjoyed that particular interview. And Michaela's kind of like just being a bit real. She's just giving us an insight into how hard it is when you're starting out, not to mention being on a primetime TV show. And I just thought it was really, really lovely show. It was lovely, wasn't it? It was a bit different from us. We didn't stick just to interiors, but Michaela spoke really eloquently about comparison syndrome and, you know, or the comparison (laughs) spiral. Do you suffer from that? Do you ever get a bit of imposter syndrome? Um, I definitely get the comparison spiral. I do get imposter syndrome, but it's buried quite deep and I would never have called it that. But actually, when you read more about it, you think, oh, no, this is me. This is me. Definitely that sense that I'm going to get found out any minute. (laughs) And, 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 you know, sent back to, to, you know the typing pool or something. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think we all do, but we're all... The the thing is now with social media, you know, it's all about showing our best bits. It's a showreel of, of, you know, what's Mm. great and the highlights. And, you know, some people do 
show a bit more than that. And, and they're quite brave to do so because, you know, it can be a sort of mean old place social media. And I just thought it was lovely for someone who is as successful and brilliant as Michaela to come out and say, you know what, this is tough. I suffer from this. This is what's going on. And just a bit real. And I thought it was great. I think everybody gets a little squirmy around comparison and imposter syndrome or whatever other psycho label you want to stick on it I think it's kind of like human nature and you know I'm up for sharing I get it too funny enough I've just had a new kitchen put in which is giving me all the squeals by the way but I am sitting in it going I don't deserve this kitchen this isn't my kitchen I shouldn't be in this kitchen this kitchen's far too nice and I'm just, you know what is that about it's so interesting isn't it doesn't even feel like my house and I don't feel like I should be here I mean, I'd like. Are there any therapists out there who would like to comment on what it's like? Like, <laughs> he's you... putting herself up for public therapy <laughs> right now. No, I think it's really yeah, and I suppose as well from a, a TV, you know, anybody which I know is a minority who've had an opportunity to do any amount of TV that can really play with your mind as well. Especially, I remember when I first got asked to be a judge on the Great Interior Design Challenge, which was back in long time ago 2013 oh my goodness I felt like such an imposter then the concept that I had somehow gained the privilege where I could judge other designers on how good their designs were that felt deeply uncomfortable when I first did that now not a problem you got into that no yeah well I've had I was 10 years later and I'm absolutely all the judginess yeah Yeah. all the judginess yeah (laughs) come come to me if you want to be judged I'm a pro at judging But yeah, so I think it's just a nice thing to share that wherever we are in our career or whoever successful, then I think we all feel it a bit. I think the one thing I would say, and and I'm sure all our lovely listeners are very aware of this, but, you know, do remember if you're tempted down the comparison route that you are only seeing a highlight and you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes in people's lives. And they're just showing you the best bits because maybe that makes them feel better as well. Absolutely. So yeah, do have a listen to that Michaela episode. It's a real little gem. And also, Michaela very generously has offered 20% discount on her Create Academy course. She's got a course on there for uh, how to do upholstery. Three simple projects. And this is an exclusive to our great indoors insider. So if you fancy supporting the show, people, uh, getting your hands on some exclusive content, as well as obviously some nice exclusive discounts, then visit the great indoorspodcast.com get yourself signed up and then you will also be privy to Michaela's 20% discount on her upholstery course so uh, thank you Michaela so let's kick off with a question from Christina Kia ora Sophie and Kate it's Christina here from Aotearoa New Zealand I have a question for your style surgery section regarding layout We have recently purchased a new property and the house is quite small. The size doesn't worry us, there's just the two of us, but there are a few issues with the layout. Currently, it's very simple with an open plan kitchen, living, dining space and a bedroom and bathroom off one end. We're really keen to separate the bathroom off from the living space to create some privacy, but what else do we need to consider when we design the layout of the house? We've planned to put a hallway in to divide the space up. The other questions we've got are whether the kitchen and dining should go down the sunny end of the house, or is that like a better place for the living room? We don't want to increase the floor area, but we do want to be a bit more clever with how every bit of the space is used. You guys are both big fans of putting the walls back up, but where should they go? 
a deep dive into the tricky subject of layout would be very much appreciated. Namahi, many thanks, Christina. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because as she makes the point, we're big fans of walls, but mostly one already has the walls. She clearly lives in a house where she can put the walls wherever they want. She currently has an open plan kitchen, dining, living room with a separate bathroom and a separate bedroom. That is, I think, and it sounds like you go through the front door and you're already into your open plan space. Yeah. There's no hallway. Yeah. I love the fact she says she's keen to keep the bathroom separate from the living space. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there are some things, Christina, that are a given. Let's not have anyone taking a shower in your open plan space. Anyway, and obviously you want to keep your bed- bedroom separate. So I think those are given. So it's really how to divide up this open plan kitchen, dining, living space and eating into that area to create a hallway which is uh we haven't got any plans we can't actually visualize what you're seeing but so we can talk in general and actually we had a really similar situation with my mum's annex build where she's got an open plan kitchen living dining area and a separate bedroom and a separate bathroom and we um denied about whether to put a hallway in and I think the architect friend who helped us plan it out thought that she should have one and a separate utility as well, actually. He was a real fan of walls, but it was going to make her living space really quite tight. So she decided to forego the walls in favour of a feeling of a larger, more open space. So I think, and Kate's going to jump on this too, I'm sure, it's getting right back to how do you live? Imagine yourself in the space so for my mum she doesn't have loads of like buggies or bikes or boots or coats so she didn't really need a haul she didn't feel like that was really important whereas I think if you're someone who's got lots of stuff you might want a separate room to put that into also she is someone who aesthetically is quite tidy and neat and well organized and curated so you know she's created a lovely space she doesn't have loads of stuff to store away because when you don't have walls you also don't get to have a lot of furniture to put up against the walls do you know what I mean you're suddenly got less available space for cupboards or wardrobes or cabinets. Well, and pictures on walls. I mean, your mum has a wall of glass along one side. She's got a wall of shelves with books and the TV on it. You know, and your 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 mum's an artist and there's there's not a huge amount of wall left for, for decoration. So interestingly, Kate, that is her biggest bugbear about the whole space is she doesn't have anywhere to hang her paintings. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally get what you're saying about your mum's decision. She lives on her own not to have a hall. And, you know, Christina does make the point that there's just the two of them. So, but that said, we don't know that we can stereotype and say they live in New Zealand. They might have hiking boots and skis and bikes and all sorts of stuff and maybe you know she said the land is big maybe you can have an outdoor shed porch for all that stuff but I I like a little bit of separation I must say even if it's just a half wall so you just feel that you're kind of I I like to feel a little bit of a gap between coming into the front door and being in the room. And I wonder if you could do something just like a half wall that's almost like a screen or if space permits, if you could build and obviously these things are quite difficult to describe, but a cupboard along the side of the front door you know, at right angles to the sitting area, which would be 60 centimetres deep, which is a hanger width. 
And you could make that into a cupboard so you could come in, slide or open the door, throw your boots, your coats, your stuff in there and close it. And then that then you come round there into the main living space. And on the back of that cupboard in the sitting room, you can have a picture or you can prop a chair in front of it. And it just gives you a little bit of separation. You know, you don't need to have a big hall with a flower table and all that because that will eat into your space. But something, as you say, for transition, I think could be a really good idea. Yeah, excellent. The other thing that my ears pricked up on was whether to have the dining kitchen area at the sunny end of the house or the living room at the sunny end of the house. And this is me speaking from my very recent past experience. Again, Christina, think about how you and your partner use your home. So for me and my family, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen dining space. It's somewhere, obviously we're cooking in there, but we're also using the table to drink coffee with friends, do homework. It's the hub of the home. It's our social space. And our living room was only being used to watch TV in the evening and occasionally have people over Christmas, the odd party but you know not very often so we've switched just gone through a big process of switching our kitchen and our living rooms over so that our living dining room is in the sunny end of the house with the views and the tv has moved back to the dark end of the house that doesn't have any views with the view that we only use it in the evening anyway so it doesn't really matter what's outside the window because it's dark so I think, again, it's an, that's what I've done and why I've done it. But again, it's another question for you. Are you someone who sits and reads all day in the living room? Or maybe you've got a home office in your living room, in which case there's an argument to have it at the sunny end. Otherwise, just basically have the room you use the most in the best aspect of the house. I think that that's really key. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, sitting rooms for, for me tend to be evening rooms. But you make the point if you work from home. But then if you work from home and you've got a bigger sort of kitchen space, maybe you can work at the kitchen table. Maybe that little half wall that you're clearly now going to build for your coats to make the transition from the front door. Maybe you could stick a little desk behind that. I mean, there's you have to kind of get down there with a piece of graph paper and, and plot it all out and know some sizes but it it comes down as it always does to how you live and what you need to do in the space and if you are not telly watchers then you know maybe that's a different thing as Sophie says if you're sitting in there all day looking at the views maybe you do want that to be sunny but we forget how to listen to our instincts and I think you just need to really contemplate how you live, what you do, visualise yourself in the space. You know, where do you go when you get up? I'm assuming if you're already living in the house, you've worked out where the best view is. So do you get up and drift to the window with the best view with your cup of coffee? Think about those things and the light and how it flows and how you live. And then you will you will sort of understand how you want to lay it out. So don't be distracted by what people tell you or you must have the kitchen at the sunny end or you must have the sitting room at the dark end just take it back to how you live and you will work it out and let us know what you do about the hall our next question is from elisa hi both love listening to your podcast and i'm just listening to the kitchen episode that was our recent special so i thought i'd ask this kitchen related question i'm hopefully moving into this house in august and would like some advice on the kitchen island please and she sent us a photo and basically there's a split level island so there's a slightly taller bit which you would do for prep and then there's a lower bit where you sit at and elisa wants to know is there a way i can raise this without changing it completely I don't mind getting rid of the hob. Or, I mean, raising it would change it completely. So I guess the question, (laughs) 
I'm guessing your question, Elisa, boils down to, do you want a split-level island? What do we think of those? Sophie, you're queen of the island. I had no longer have an island. I'm an island refusenik. <laughs> I think this is this is really interesting because this plays into my anxiety around having an island. When I was designing the island for my kitchen, I agonised over it because, my goodness, once that island's in, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's a really big commitment. So I think, first of all, for anyone who is planning an island, my goodness, you really want to get it right. Because, as Elisa has discovered, quite hard to change it once it's in so essentially you've got the island as kate explained for cooking and then this lower well it's not really an island is it it's a fixed table top is actually what it is with dining chairs underneath and you don't explain why this isn't working for you maybe you've got another table in the space which you prefer to sit at maybe this fixed seating area is too small and you need more chairs i mean part of me is just wondering you could surely just take it away altogether unless it's so integral to the whole space that you can't do that in terms of modifying it it's a fixed piece of furniture I think that's going to be really difficult it's got a um, probably quite heavy worktop so my thoughts is take it out completely and put something else in its place uh, because modifying a fitted piece of furniture is really really difficult yeah I think it'll end up costing you more to modify it than it will to take it out and start again if there's a way of sort of chopping off the low bit and the I think the idea is you have the high bit with bar stools and then the lower bit you have chairs which are obviously lower and that doubles up as a dining area it's always personal it's always a kind of question of what you like I don't like the look of the the double height island for me I'd rather have a separate table but I think Sophie's absolutely right trying to raise it is going to get you into all sorts of bother that said for anyone else who who has a big island you see a lot now and it's completely fine to mix your worktop materials so you can have marble or stone or or steel on the bit you prep on and then wood on the bit that perhaps is the bar side or where you eat because wood is warmer to eat off it's more tactile um, but I think I think it's either get rid and have a small island or or start again. I think you'll get into all sorts of bother if you're trying to raise it. And I think you will spend more money trying to lift it and add extra cupboards in and make it level and change the worktop than you would if you started again or got rid of it. I think as well, though, it's worth doing a bit of research. Maybe go back to the kitchen brand who made the kitchen. Do they indeed still sell matching units if you wanted to extend it? Um, other than that, you could get in touch with a local bespoke kitchen cabinet maker who could perhaps give you some more advice on how you could change it affordably. But my biggest takeaway uh, from this is, yeah, get your kitchen island working for you how you want from the get-go because they're really hard to change. Right, next question is a question from Delphine. She says, I'm a big fan of your podcast that I've been listening to for years. I also have a rather thick French accent and a baritone voice, so I'd rather spare your ears. (laughs) Oh my God, Delphine, I think you're underselling yourself. I think a thick French accent and a baritone would just be brilliant anyway so sadly you're gonna have to put up with my voice as I read out her question you recently spoke about colour drenching which I checked and fell in love with my question is the following is it okay to practice colour drenching in one room and not the rest of the flat of the house or do you think you have to go through the whole house and colour drench the whole thing what do you think Kate 
I think it depends on two things. One, the colour you're using and two, the room you're doing it in. Colour drenching implies that, that the word drench implies that it's deep and dark and saturated and rich colours. So if that is the way you're doing it, then it might perhaps look odd to do one room and not do any of the others. But don't forget, colour drenching simply means using the same colour all over the walls, the ceiling, the woodwork and potentially the radiators. And it doesn't have to be a dark colour. So you could absolutely do your whole house in different colours and, and follow that idea of colour drenching. So I'm going to chip in. Colour drenching isn't about drenching a room in an off-white. That is not what it is. It is drenching a room in a colour that makes real visual impact and feels very kind of cosseting. And second of all, you can absolutely have one room in your house colour drenched and the rest of it really pale and wafty if you want. Depends on the room. I was going to say, on the roof. if you see, she's interrupting me. I haven't finished. <laughs> what I was going to say, what I was going, you get back in your dungarees, and I'm going to finish my sentence. What I was going to say was, I think if it's a sitting room or an evening room, then that's a different vibe, and totally you can drench it because you're going in there to relax and feel cosseted and cosy. I. I'm not entirely sure if you would colour drench a kitchen or a working room and then have the sitting room done in a completely different way. You could colour drench a bedroom, actually, because, again, that's a different vibe. Depends on the room. Yeah, you could colour drench a bathroom. You could colour drench a utility room, boot room, hallway. Hallway, interesting. No, you couldn't. Well, my hallway is quite colour drenched, isn't it? I suppose I haven't done the banisters. You haven't done the ceiling. No, yeah, okay. No, you haven't drenched that no, my at colour, all. Yeah, you, do, no, you tell me that I don't know what uh, colour drenching uh, means, uh, and uh, then uh, it turns out you haven't even done it. I think to get to get back to Delphine's brilliant question, I think the colour drenching effect, and maybe one of the reasons why you love it, is it is visually quite impactful. It's quite dramatic, and as Kate's already alluded to, creates this lovely, cosy, cosseting vibe. So first of all, it's got to be appropriate for the room. You don't have have to do your whole house in this style I think it can look really cool to just have one room which is like decorated a bit differently however using Kate's brilliant red thread analogy don't make it completely random so for example if I was going to colour drench a room it would be one of the colours of my colour palette so it might be a deep cobalt blue it could be a deep forest green it could even be a lovely plaster pink because these are all colors that are repeated throughout the rest of my house I wouldn't color drench a room in well actually I have pretty much got every color in my house I'm now searching well I wouldn't color drench in white for a start Kate Watson's white because that's just ridiculous but um I wouldn't color drench in black for example I don't I don't go for black colors that would look really out of place in my home so if you're going to color drench pick a color which is part of your palette and it's just a little jewel then in your crown. I think it could look brilliant. The thing you can do, I've done, Sophie's now going to say I haven't colour drenched, but in my sitting room, I have used two shades of the same colour. So I've got a paler plaster pink on the walls and a darker plaster pink on the ceiling. But what you can then do is carry that colour, say, on the woodwork throughout the rest of the house. So you can provide a link that way and I'm, I'm still taking issue with the colour drenching if you do the whole room in an off-white or a neutral and all the woodworks that's called the gallery look because that's what galleries do so they have everything painted out in the same colour so that the artwork really stands out not letting that go <laughs> <laughs> 
And now we have a question. Oh, we're back to kitchens from Melissa. Hello, Sophie and Kate. Firstly, I love your podcast. It's just the right dose of British delight and inspiration to keep me decorating. Here's my dilemma. Oh, we have to rebuild a rental duplex due to a fire. So we are starting from scratch. Of course, cost matters due to a major insurance shortfall. But I want to make a nice place that people enjoy living in. I personally am so over black, white and grey. We hear you, Melissa. So her question is, should I go for colour or keep it neutral? And... She's wagging the finger here. I want to hear each of your suggestions of a colour scheme. And finally, what quartz countertop colour would you pick that's not black or white? Hugs from across the pond, Melissa. Ah, oh, Melissa. OK, this is what I'd call an open-ended question, Melissa, but we're going <laughs> to... We're going to run for it. I mean, I think what I'm hearing here, Melissa, is the classic, you know, starting from scratch, paralysis of fear. You know, the blank canvas. Oh, my gosh, do I just keep it all neutral or do I dare put some colour on the walls? And it's really hard, I think, when you are starting in a new build that hasn't got any... Well, actually, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? It's lovely that you're not inheriting somebody else's decor that you've got to try and get your head around. But at the same time... It's a white box and you've got to imprint your own personality and style onto it. So that's where you really must start, I think, Melissa. You know, what colours do you love? What turns you on? Are you like Delphine and you're a colour drencher? Are you doing the gallery? What did you call it, Kate? The gallery look? The gallery look, doing everything in Fifty Shades of White. Um, It's not really for us to say, but of course I'm going to have an opinion. And that's, I think, what you're really writing in for. You don't want the generic, sensible answer. Horse, Melissa, you should have colour and don't keep it neutral. That is just madness. So, um, yeah, embrace all the colour and get that rental duplex looking like it's your kind of home. And for whatever that is, I mean, the sky's the limit. You can have whatever you like. And it does not have to be black or white and seriously, never be grey. We come back to that old trope of, you know, do look at your wardrobe and colours you're comfortable living with and your colours you're comfortable wearing so you're comfortable living in them. And I would also say, you know, take a take a trip down your local high street or into your department store. I mean, the way you've spelt colour and lets me think that perhaps you're coming in from America. Across the pond, I'd say so. Across the pond. Go to your department store and just have a wander through the clothes department and see what you're drawn to. You know, it's not just about colour. It's also about pattern. You know, do you are you picking up shirts with tiny little floral patterns? Do you want something big, bold and geometric? That can also steer you towards a look that you might like. And then, I mean, I think we, whilst it's very hard for us to go into a colour scheme, I think we could probably summarise that Sophie likes saturated, strong, bold, contrasting colours. And I like saturated, bold, tonal colours. So I will go for layers of pink or layers of chocolate or layers of cream. And Sophie will have the blue and the yellow and the pink all together in the same room. And what you need to do, Melissa, is understand how those different schemes make you feel. And we've spoken before, but it probably bears telling again. When Sophie had a rental apartment in Brighton, 
She just redecorated it and she was very excited. And let's go and record the podcast in my new flat, which had emerald green floral wallpaper and a lilac sofa and a leopard print rug on the on the floor <laughs> and some stripes. And we went in to record this Christmas podcast. And, you know, our, our producer and Sophie both commented on the fact that I was in a fury and they kept saying that I was the Christmas Grinch because it was the Christmas episode and it wasn't until we'd we'd recorded this quite feisty episode and we went out into the streets of Brighton the the sort of uh, monochrome grey streets of Brighton to get a cup of coffee that I took a deep breath and felt calmer. You felt calmer in Costa Coffee coffee chain, basically, is what you want to say. I did, I did. And it's <laughs> Which not... I take such an insult to. Well, it's interesting because it's not that I, you know, I have, I've done grey, wrote the book, literally got the t-shirt, but I, I, I don't want grey anymore. But what we realised from that was that was a really stark lesson in how do the colours make you feel? And, and while I like visiting Sophie's high contrast it can too much of it can put me on edge and I really admire how you put colors together and clash patterns and I can look at it and go wow that's amazing I couldn't do that but at the same time I know I can't live in that and I like fewer colors in a more tonal way because that makes me feel relaxed whereas I think secretly or possibly even not so secretly Sophie finds that quite draining in my house <laughs> so you know I think that's the key we we can't suggest colors to you but we would both advise that you absolutely you know think about your reaction to color so that's a, that's a whole pinterest mood board going on there and i think it's worth sweeping in at this point so i have a whole suite of online courses melissa at uh, courses.sophierobinson.co.uk to help with this because this is such a common problem melissa i do i think color psychology would be a course that you should really get into if you're first of all discovering as kate said what is your style what is your color personality how do you put palettes together so we've got help and kate has books i've got books and i've got a course at create academy which is how to find your style too so we're all there's loads of advice there because it's a huge topic and it's really worth I think reading the book doing the course doing your homework and getting it right before you roll any colour on those white duplex walls and we can say quartz countertop colour would you pick that's not black or white I'm going to say dark green oh nice yeah I'll go with that yeah. we have an agreement quick move on <laughs> And finally, we've got a lovely question from Sarah Cudden, who is our podcast producer. Hello, Kate and Sophie. I live in a little Victorian terrace in London and I'm stuck for ideas for how to make my small living room, which gets a lot of light in the morning, into an elegant and cosy space. As you can see from the picture, it's currently painted grey, calming for me, but I know that's out and I'm a bit bored of it. And it's got a white ceiling and it's chock full of instruments, which I love, but they sort of gather all over the floor. And I've just bought a lovely olive green velvet sofa, but I would love ideas on what colour I might think of painting the walls and the ceiling for calm elegance. And how could I make more of the bay window and the old fireplace opening I've got? Oh, this is so interesting. We've never been asked about elegance before. We've been asked about many things, but <laughs> I feel this podcast is now hitting new heights because we're going into 
elegance and I am I'm here for that and calm elegance at I've, that. I've got to say Sophie have you got anything to say <laughs> I'm gonna go in now I'm gonna go in because I like a bit of calm <laughs> elegance it's something I would aspire to so Sarah I would start off by saying I love the idea of an olive green velvet sofa and I would riff with that as a colour And again, obviously, you've listened to the questions. You've produced the show for a while now. So you know what we're going to say about how you feel. But when I saw your room and I looked at the olive green velvet sofa, I immediately and Sophie, do not interrupt me till I've got to the end of my sentence, because I know you're going to. All I'm going to do is I'm going to quickly interject to paint a picture of this is a very classic Victorian High ceilinged, beautiful fireplace, lovely proportioned bay window, but quite modest. It's not a massive room. So I'm going to go in with what might be my take on elegance. And I wonder for calming elegance, whether painting the walls in a in a quite a rich cream colour and cream might sound boring but there's all sorts of different names for it Sophie's so bored already she's taken her headphones off cream walls and then potentially painting the bay window in a dark olive to bring that in and possibly the ceiling in a olive colour to bring that into the room because there's no plaster work but I saw something on Instagram the other day which I thought was so beautiful and it's it would be a nightmare to do but it looks great in the absence of a picture rail high up someone had painted they had a yellow ceiling and they'd painted two very thin navy blue stripes all around and you could get a laser you could actually do it with washi tape which would peel off and I thought it was so cool so I would have that kind of rich cream and olive green and that's what I'd riff with and in terms of making more of the fireplace I wonder if you could buy a fireplace surround Uh, you can buy wooden ones which don't cost a fortune and you could paint it unless I mean I have I know two people who've picked up marble fireplaces on the side of the road they were very lucky but you can get a surround fireplace surround and I think that would then give you a mantle shelf to put things on and you could arrange things so that would be my short I I fell asleep I fell asleep at cream walls that would be my short advice that's how I'm going (laughs) elegant because I'm not going bright and contrast for elegant but you wouldn't expect us to agree Sarah so I'm going to try and channel calm elegance and actually I was quite interested in, at the a part of the question that the room's chock full of instruments which Sarah loves but they gather all over the floor and I thought well that's kind of the first thing to tackle and I think you love your instruments it's clearly somewhere where you use and play them but they need a storage solution that's calming and elegant <laughs> And the floor is not providing that. I mean, we, <laughs> yeah, let's I, we're not a massive mu- musical family, but we've got a couple of ukuleles on special hooks in the kitchen. And there's a, two reasons. I love the look of them. I think they're beautiful instruments. And I think also if they're just there, you're more likely to practice. So the idea is they're right next to the dining table. So Arthur can literally pull it down and play a ditty and it encourages him to do his, his daily practice. So I would think about creating a display area for your instruments which makes them lovely to look at and also easy to access and there are as I said lots of different hooks and gadgets that you can use to get things up off the floor Um, and they're going to kind of be your main feature I think in this room aside from the bay window love the idea Kate to pick the bay uh, woodwork out in a contrasting colour I think that's a lovely idea and uh, also love the idea of 
putting a fire surround in I'd probably try and find something reclaimed rather than new I just think it will complement the property better and there are lots of reclamation yards around the UK and especially in London that you can rummage around in and then I think in terms of colour scheme olive is a, is a very easy colour it goes with lots of different things I'm just wondering whether I can tempt you towards a wallpaper would a lovely William Morris style wallpaper something with a gentle pattern in it nothing too contrasty would help elevate this room because the other thing is is all the instruments do visually look quite busy so I'm wondering if there's a way of sort of slightly camouflaging them with a bit of pattern behind them oh Sarah I love it you're gonna have to uh, invite us around for a little soiree I'd like the listeners to you know weigh in with your thoughts on on what's elegant and more more style surgery questions please on (laughs) the elegance or not we like that (laughs) yeah it's really easy to do you can just send us an email or a voice note to help at thegreatindoorspodcast.com Before we go, I'll just remind you once more about the Great Indoors Insiders Club where you can enjoy ad-free listening, bonus content and first dibs on ticketed events. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com to sign up. And thank you so much to Natural Matt for supporting the show. And don't forget that discount code GREATINDOORS10 for that lovely 10% discount, which is valid until the 31st of August 2023. Thank you too to our producer Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective and her lovely question. And thanks to you, our lovely listeners. And we'll see you in the great indoors. 